Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next version of the Gulf Coast Poker Podcast. I'm Gene D. I'm here with Phillips. We're the co-owners of Gulf Coast Poker, and we also have our uh, podcast operative uh, uh, poker writer, Ben Saxon. Uh, Before we get to our next guest, we're going to let Bill plug our next events and then go ahead and have a quick roundtable with us three on the poker events that have been going on lately. Bill, you want to take it away? Sure. So it's interesting. We recorded our guests in advance of our recently completed uh, event in Shreveport. So some of that may be talking about Shreveport in the future when in reality it was in the rearview mirror whenever you guys hear this. But ahead of us, June 8th through the 11th at MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Gulf Coast Poker or GCP, we'll be having our first tournament out of the region. We're going to have a five-flight 200K, 200K guarantee, $500 buy-in at MGM Grand. And we're really excited about that. I've reached out to a lot of people. It sounds like they're either going to be in Vegas or actually planning to fly into Vegas just for that tournament uh, to support us and to kind of help us out. And we're really grateful for anybody that is doing that. And we hope to see as many of you as possible there in Las Vegas because the Grand has been very good to us to give us a shot, see what we can do, see if we can bring people out of the region um, into their their casino. And we're we're pretty uh, excited to do that. So hopefully we can have a great showing there. Uh, other event, which I need to touch on real quick as well, is July 21st, excuse me, July 20th through the 31st, we're back at Pearl River Resorts. And the reason I need to touch on that is the Neshoba County Fair, which is a very big deal in those parts, is going over at the same time. So rooms are gonna be a premium. If you're planning on going, contact the casino now, book now. Or if uh, you have a room deal or something like that, you know, contact me or Paul or whoever you deal with, get on that to ensure that you have a room because those rooms will be completely sold out. I'm told they are sold out as far away as Jackson, Mississippi, and Macomb. That's that's how um, big this county fair is in the region. So um, we definitely want to have a great poker tournament. While that's going on, maybe you guys can get out and there's actually a big event to to go to nearby. But please get those rooms so we can have as big a poker tournament as possible. All right, that's it for the plugs. All right, do we want to start off with some uh, local folks that have been doing well in the tournament uh, circuit or the tournament world? Sure. Um, We've got three players that just kind of off the top of our head, we've seen through Facebook or whatever that, uh, or Twitter, in the case of Steve Beerman, have had some success in the last two weeks, not counting at our event in Shreveport where a lot of local players did well. So Steve, I think, won 30000 at the win on a $400 buy-in. He was first in that tournament and got one of those impressive heavy win trophies, and he's pretty pumped about that. There's another player, Rob Girado, who comes to all of our events. Um, he's from Florida, a little further afield, because he's deep down by Tampa Bay, but it always makes the drive up to the region to support us. Uh, he just won first place with a nice little score down in Florida. I think it was at the Hollywood Casino. It's not yet posted to Hendon Mob, so I can't give exact details, but congratulations to him as well. And we also want to mention Brittany Rodriguez. She is a player from Baton Rouge who went to Las Vegas. And I think she made three, if not four, final tables and had a really impressive uh, stay there. And Brittany is one of our players that has graduated from playing rookies events to now just, I guess, final tabling everything she can in Las Vegas. And I reached out to her and uh, made the joke that she's now not eligible to play the rookie events anymore because she's won too much. Um, but we might change – maybe we raise the standards uh, to try and keep some uh, folks still eligible that like to play it. Uh, but she is definitely um, 
improved immensely and is um, not somebody you want to see on the felt across from you. And as much as she tries to downplay it, she's a very good player. So congratulations to all you three. Hey, did, did, have you spoken to Steve? Did, was it a, did he win it outright? Was it a chop or no? Uh, ben, did you speak to Steve? Uh, well, yes, but just just, uh, just via text, and I, I didn't get any of the details, so I don't know if it was an outright win or what the what what the details were. But certainly, regardless, I mean, it's a great score, and um, you, you know, not 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 easy to to navigate those smaller buy-in, higher entry fields. Um, looks like there were like a hundred and oh no, I'm not sure how many entries there were, but. Um, yeah, I, I do have some info. I do have some info on the the way that it wrapped up. Uh, his player, his opponent, when they got the heads up, was down. I think three to one at chips, and he offered Steve an even chop, and Steve uh, kept from laughing and said no. And I guess they had pretty similar hidden mobs. I'm not. I mean, Steve keeps up with that. So, um, you know, I don't think that was maybe the best offer. Uh, there might have been some other deal offered for, um, and it was declined. I'm not sure, but then they played it out and Steve won. All right. So. Good deal. Man, that was exciting. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I see, I see now 400, 408 entries. So it's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty sizable field. Not easy to navigate, um, especially, I don't know if these, those are re-entries or not, but, I mean, on one $400 bullet, it's pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, that's kind of his home court now. It seems like he's, I don't know, what is that, his fourth or fifth win at the win in the last year or six months even. He's done really well there. So, win at um, the win. He's repping the South in Las Vegas for sure. So, <laughs> speaking of, of the South, I guess, and we count Texas as part of the South. I don't know if you guys saw about the Texas uh, latest news out of that card room that's in between Dallas and Fort Worth where they arrested the players and some of the owners, and I think they took about 200000 in cash and about one hundred and fifty to two hundred k in equipment. It seems like they have dropped the charges against the players with three exceptions. And the humorous part about it is the three exceptions made play de plea deals earlier, and so they they still have the charges pending against them. But everybody that didn't take the deal has now had the charges dropped against them. Um, the owners still. I saw this Chad Holloway reported on Poker News, so this is where I'm getting that information from. It looks like the owners are still um, facing charges, and I think the warrant mentioned. They were searching for non-poker gambling devices and equipment. I'm not really sure if they had that there or not, or what the rationale was for shutting that down. But the question I think maybe we should all address is, do you think these card houses are, are long for Texas or, or what? Or do you think that uh, casinos will be coming in? Ben or Jean, either one of them? Um, that's that's a great question. Go ahead, Gene. I was just going to say it seems like uh, some of our cohorts up in Shreveport uh, seem to think that the casinos are coming and they're coming quicker than all these poker rooms are anticipating. Is the I think the scuttlebutt we got. Yeah, uh, certainly some players uh, have suggested that. So uh, that's interesting. I don't have much of a finger on the, the pulse of Texas, but it I've kind of mixed minds about it. I like people going out, making a carving out a living, making a little business with poker, um, and not necessarily being at the casinos, but then at the same time, the casinos kind of offer and afford you a higher level of protection and regulation and all that kind of stuff. So, Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's definite upsides to, to both. I mean, the, the unregulated nature of the Texas card rooms is just just it just adds an even more risky risky dynamic to an 
for something that's just inherently risky as it is. So you're just sort of upping the risk. And one of the casino, one thing that the casinos can do is provide a measure of stability and protection. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know the like the sector landscape and the timeline on any sort of, you know, casinos. Like Gene, you said when you were talking to the Shreveport guys that they were meant talking about tech, Texas-based casinos. I mean, that's that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, I think uh, Bill and I discussed. Um, that's what they were talking. I, I think it it might be better for us just because to have the the legal precedent and have the land based casinos. If we were to expand west, uh, to have you know uh, people people like Paul um, and other folks that we can partner with. To go to these casinos, and nobody having to worry about any gaming licenses. In fact, I think Bill and I actually have a gaming license down in Mississippi, um, and you know, gives us a clearer picture on expansion west versus you know us dealing with these card rooms and you know just not knowing. We're not saying that they're doing anything wrong. But there's just some cluedness in the, the the laws and uh, the different municipalities and that sort of stuff. That's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably is good for for us as GCP, but just in terms of the question for the players in the ecosystem, you know, I I can't really decide if it's. I think in general, I, I would veer to the opportunity to play poker. Um, as many places as possible is better for the game than not. So until they have those casinos and stuff, I think it's great that there are card rooms that are filling that void and they seem to be quasi-legal. I mean, we've certainly seen in other places where casinos um, and maybe gaming as a um, uh, as a partner or, or I'm not sure how to explain the relationship between casinos and gaming, but gaming seems to swoop in and kind of um, put the heel to the, the people trying to run clubs before the casinos get back into business or when the casinos are going to be offering poker. But, you know, they don't even have a gaming division in Texas right now. Right. Wouldn't so they need to been... pass legislation to get to, to legalize casinos? Wouldn't there need to be some, some legislation passed, or has that already already been, been passed? There is uh, there's multiple legislations in the – uh, kind of teed up to 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 come through, as I understand it. Gotcha. gotcha. So, yeah. yeah, I've heard anywhere from one casino coming to seven casinos to, I mean, there's a lot of rumors. It's hard to uh, discern what the truth is. But I, I've also, um, I mean, if I had a guess, casinos are coming in Texas. It's going to keep that money in state, and they're. People are going to stop going across the border to Oklahoma or to Louisiana, and then they're also going to offer poker. So the, I think a poker room's uh, longevity in Texas is probably um, maybe at most five years. That's my guess. Yeah, and I mean that, that that's consistent with the with the national landscape too, right? I mean, I, I think like there's been talk of a casino in New York City, maybe even in Times Square, you know. So, so I think places where, you know, we we wouldn't have, you know, thought there was any likelihood, um, you know, in Texas for me would have been one of those places for a long time because just been it's just been illegal for, for you know for forever it seems. Now I think um, there's just a much there's just a greater willingness to usher in gambling, you know, whether that's sports betting, you look at the, the NBA, the NFL, you know, and all the apps to, to brick and mortar casinos. I think that's just where we're, we're headed. So it's not, it's not surprising for me to hear that. I didn't realize that there was like legislation already teed up though. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's in the, the chain or about to be in the chain, um, but that's just secondhand stuff. People have told me that they've heard. So I talked to some players that have said that. Um, so we'll see. It is weird that you you know you mentioned that a casino in every town that definitely seems to be a changing um I don't know acceptance I guess of casino gambling and people having it next door as opposed to having to travel further 
a field for it. It makes me wonder if these casinos at a certain point, instead of being giant, are going to have to kind of actually scale down in size because there's going to be one in every place, right? I think that's yeah. killing Atlantic City and some other places, or Tunico. Yeah. To, to comment on uh, the west coast of Louisiana in Lake Charles, I got um, some contacts that are in the industry. And Harris has opened up. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, it has opened. But, you know, you got LaBerge and you got those real fancy hotels there. They said it's like a truck stop casino. You walk through the door and there's slot machines hit you in the face. So uh wondering how all those are going to be successful when, you know, Texas does open up uh, for casinos and, you know, if they start building big casinos in big cities, we'll, we'll all have to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Well, and then I guess the, Segue off of that, um, you know, it seems like there's been some some beefing going on in the the poker universe as far as the big pros. Um, we're, I, you know, I think we discussed we're not never going to take any sides on any of that kind of stuff. But you know, the the impact that it has on the whole poker universe. Uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, I think it's just a, a a bad look. What do you guys think? Well, well, why do you why do you think that, Gene? Well, it's just uh, you got these guys who are pros and they're beefing back and forth, and um, it, it keeps some of the younger players from uh, wanting to get involved, wanting to play online. And it just, I think it just gives a bad uh, reflection of the poker, you know, environment and the, the poker players who sometimes can be seen as, uh, you know, spoiled brats kind of thing. Yeah, I I, I think that, so, I mean, I, you know, just to, to get specific for a second, I mean, like, there, there's a lot going on in terms of heads-up grudge matches. Matt Berkey and Nick Airball are playing uh, a couple times a week in Vegas. I, I think they're scheduled to play, like, 40 matches, something like 200, 400. You know, and that emerged out of, like, this beef between Airball and Garrett Adelstein, between Berkey and Doug Polk, between Doug Polk and Charlie Carroll. And I, I can't even keep up. Um, and you know, this has just been all flying around. I mean, to me, this gets to like a couple of interesting questions. One is like, what's the best way to market poker? And I think like the two extremes would be treating poker like chess or like a, um, you know, like a skill, some sort of skill game um, where, you know, we kind of hold up and, and, and focus in on the most, skillful, the hardest workers, the people who are operating at like the highest end of their craft. And like that is like come under fire in certain ways um, with the critique of just like the robotic grinder type playing high rollers. Um, and then on the other hand, I think what we're seeing right now is like the WWE model, which is just like poker players as entertainers. And I think that like, there's a lot to be said for this model purely in terms of like marketing the game purely in terms of like how can we generate a lot of clicks because like the social media cycle is like designed to reward controversy to reward beats and i think like we've we're seeing that like we're seeing so much of that right now with solve the solve for Y crew the upspring crew i don't think it's a it's a coincidence that matt berkey isn't just this dude like he's representing his brand. Doug Polk isn't just this dude, he's representing his brand. And we're seeing Nick Airball uh, in the process of perhaps crafting a brand. Um, so for me, it's like, it's, you know, it's, do I like it, do I not like it? I mean, that's sort of a separate question from like, uh, we're sort of seeing this, the WWE model uh, of marketing poker being played out in, in real time. Um, 
So that's just a couple of my, my thoughts. I'm not sure, Bill, you wanted to respond well, yeah, to that, that. That was Go really, ahead, really good. Man. Uh, that was really good. No, you, uh, that was really insightful, what you said. I appreciate it. That was a great point. You can go, Bill. No, it's funny. You said WWE. In my head, I was thinking two things. Uh, it reminds me of uh, rap beats between rappers and also maybe uh, prize fighters, you know, pre-W, you know, I'm talking boxers and, uh, you know, a little bit of UFC guys still do that. It, drum, it drums up controversy. It brings attention to it. Um, uh, is it, it seems to usually benefit when it was in the rap industry, both sides of the rap industry, you know, obviously we're not going to get into the deaths and uh, murders and stuff like that, but just in general brings more attention to each side and, and both seem to do better in terms of record sales and that kind of stuff. And some of the beasts, um, and I think it always drived up interest in prize fights. You know, Muhammad Ali is the great promoter, and he would um, kind of run his mouth and promote even better than Don King. Um, you know, Larry Holmes, all those kind of guys. I saw a thing on PBS uh, about Muhammad Ali's life, and, you know, he seemed to um, kind of uh, revel in a little bit of that controversy and get attention to, like, his fights. Um so for poker, it could be a good thing. You know, the weird thing about this Berkey airball thing is it's not being streamed. It's not being recorded as far as I know. So it's not being telecast. And it's a literal grudge match. It's so like Berkey just wants to beat this guy. Nick Airball just wants to beat him. They're playing. And I think the only updates you get are from they each have allowed one friend in there that can tweet about it or something like that. So... Yeah, that's that's almost weird in that it, it could be more, you know, that Eric Person versus Phil Hellmuth and some of the other kind of grudge heads up matches they've had in the past. I think it did draw attention to them and maybe that was a little bit better in, in terms of marketing poker a little bit, um, getting people interested in it. So I don't know. I it, I agree with Eugene 100 percent. It It kind of sometimes it gets pretty down in the gutters and it reflects poorly on us as a community but i also see the benefit of drama and attention you know so i don't know yeah good stuff man good stuff so you want to introduce our uh our new guest next guest all right so as i said we recorded this interview last week and now we're we only been able to get to the round table now his name is jamie kaiser he is a um, mostly cash PLO player from Tennessee, but he did very well in our recent GCP Tour Championship, making the final table. Uh, he's always a entertaining person to to share a meal with or share a poker table with, and we're kind of enjoyed interviewing him. So here he is. A lot of your other guests have been uh, nothing compared to uh, a lot of the guys that you've had on. And uh, but I mean, I, I play a lot of tournaments, uh, and especially you know around the the events that are being hosted. It's just I would truly prefer to play PLO Cash, but uh, uh, yeah, just whatever uh, is there for the day, I guess. So let me do uh, the question Gene normally asks every time we start a podcast, and that is, how did you first get into poker, and what what kind of drew you into the game? How long have you played? What are your connections to it? And just give us a kind of overview of your introduction to the game. Right. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, my first memory of poker was like in the fourth or fifth grade or something like that, living just outside of Fort Campbell, Kentucky in Clarksville, Tennessee. And a neighbor introduced me to it and um, we would play for pennies and nickels, really. And then uh, I really, you know, I didn't have some strong interest in it or anything like that. I was much more interested in riding a bike or whatever. And so then I, uh, when I was in the Air Force, though, uh, 
start playing again and we'd play in the barracks and you know i was in the air force in the mid 70s and so when i went in the air force my uh base pay was like 160 dollars a month so there wasn't a lot of money to be uh spread around so it was again pretty low stakes it was probably uh 25 50 cent uh dollar stakes playing the barracks with all the guys and then after getting out i moved uh to paducah kentucky where my parents lived and wound up going to murray state university which is about 35 miles away and then had some friends and uh they were all like sigma chi's and i was just somebody going to school on their gi bill and so i was like almost an honorary sigma chi because i would come over and play poker with them and they or they'd come over to my apartment and play poker with me so we played a lot then and then uh kind of like that off and on for a couple of years and but then i didn't really get interested and until like the money maker effect and then once that came about uh i mean i just couldn't get enough of watching it or thinking that hey i can do this in which regard i most likely could not because i had no idea what i was doing i mean i didn't understand all the terminology they were using words that i didn't even know what they meant but i just like faking it as i went along <laughs> and uh so i played online then I, I deposited some money on like party poker played uh couple of years doing that and I was really uh not very good at it and uh then especially at cash cash I was just setting money on fire tournaments I'd be doing okay and then uh I think party poker kind of got uh shut down to us and so I went to poker stars and uh started playing on there and then uh I had a little bit of uh tournament success there just I mean mild tournament success like uh, no big finishes or anything. I, I came in third one or second one night in a nightly hundred grand there, which is my all-time worst beat ever in a tournament. Is me another? Is three of us. One guy had no chips. One guy had uh, about a third of the chips, and I had two thirds of the chips. And uh, the guy with no chips was on the button. He folds. Uh, small blind raises. Uh, I've got king king. I re-raise. He ships it. I call, he's got ace, queen of spades, I've got two kings, and it comes king three, 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 four, four threes <laughs> with an ace for the other guy. And uh, wow. so that was my introduction to bad beats. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I played on, I played online for a while, and then I, I don't know, somewhere in there, they shut that all down. And, um so then I was left with like playing live, going to Tunica. So I didn't start going to Tunica till like 2009 to play poker. And uh, I had gone down there to play pit games and stuff mm -hmm. like that before, but I'd never played uh, really any poker uh, to speak of. And uh, I went down there. They, uh, uh, the, the first event I ever entered, like 2009, is the World Series of Poker uh main event and uh i think it was like 5150 or something like that to enter it then and uh i wound up finishing uh i think 16th won like eleven thousand dollars and i thought man this isn't all that hard certainly i can i can do this i remember i played but and, and there was like a a uh uh, who's who kind of at the time really uh matt stout was in it uh at the final table uh mike lee was in it gavin smith was in it uh, uh what's her name kathy liebert was there in like the final two tables and uh but i was just like super patient our good buddy got... uh kai landry won that event exactly. do you remember playing uh, with kai at all yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's who i was thinking to mention and uh i remember watching them and still you know i knew that guys like kai guys like matt stout mike lee all these guys were on a different level for sure i mean these guys they were like doing stuff i was playing checkers and they were playing chess and so um uh, it was just it was real interesting though to me 
to uh, do all that, and I, and I liked it a lot and started meeting people down there. And that's when the Gold Strike had a poker room. Well, lots of places had poker rooms down there. Samstown had a poker room. Hollywood had a poker room. And uh, But uh, Gold Strike and um, Horseshoe, well, at the time, I think it was the uh, oh, whatever the Grand turned in, Harris. And they would run like back-to-back events, uh, Horseshoe would have the World Series of Poker Circuit event, and then uh, Goldstrike would have the um, World Poker Open. And, I mean, there were some guys down there, too, then. I mean, you'd seen Negrano, you'd see Sammy Farha, you'd see all the guys that I was watching all the time on television, on WPT and stuff like that. And uh, I just, again, I was watching all kinds of uh, recorded Poker, and that's why I guess about the time the whole cams came out, it made it so much more watchable, and you could, you know, kind of figure it out. Watching Chris Moneymaker in that 2003, where you know, I mean, he makes a big bluff against Farhog, gets him to lay down a better hand, and then uh, Moneymaker actually was a husband to a niece of a guy. I belonged to a golf club here in Memphis, and we started having like Wednesday night games out there. And uh, it's like hundred dollar buy-in tournaments. We'd have twenty-five to thirty-five guys out there, and uh, we would. Uh, and I just I got better, but there was this guy, a guy named Scott Hirsch. It's a buddy of mine, and uh, he was truly the the best of them all. But he and I had a pretty good run out there on the Wednesday night game, and he was winning, or I was winning. Or, Every now and then somebody else will win, but we had a pretty good run of it. And so, and, but anyway, so Chris Moneymaker was, a, again, the husband of a niece of one of the guys playing the game. And so they invited him out because he'd moved to Memphis at that time. And so he came out there and that was a really big deal, of course, to have Moneymaker come play in your home game. And so, and since then, I mean, I became friends with uh, Chris. Uh, we're not like run around buddies or anything like that, but we certainly uh, know each other and are friendly with one another and everything. He's always been real pleasant. That night, uh, he came out there to the game at Ridgeway. Uh, he uh, uh, was just, you know, really approachable to everybody and uh, j- just a really good guy to be around. I've often thought he hadn't really got his due. I, I thought that he should be the face of the WSOP truly because because of him, everybody plays this. Yeah, would you uh, would yeah. you mind talking a little bit about your your attraction to, to PLO? Because I I know um, you know we've had Corey Harrison on the podcast, he's a pretty big PLO player. Right. I don't think he talks about about his. his, his, his his relationship to the game, but for you, like, what, when did you fall into PLO and like, what is it about the game? That's, that's, you know, your format. Yeah. Well about, I think it's probably seven or eight years ago, somewhere right in that neighborhood. Uh, like the horseshoe here and uh, Lisa uh, Compton, that was the poker room manager. They ran a, uh, a, uh, like a promotion thing uh, for, PLO to try to gather interest in it and everything. There was already guys that were playing it. I remember when I was playing one, two, and one, three, whether it be at Gold Strike or um, Horseshoe, uh, Hold'em and everything, these guys would be playing these big stake PLO games over in the corner. And I was just always super impressed by all that. But uh, anyway, so they ran this promotion. I mean, it's like uh, Max Bryant is one, two, uh, PLO. Bring it in for five, seven hundred dollar max buy-in, two hundred dollar minimum. So nobody was going to get really killed, and everybody could kind of learn how to play. Well, I already had these friends that were playing it, and they still play it. And and typically they play bigger games than I do. But I mean, we got some murderers row guys up here playing, playing still play PLO. Kyle Cartwright, uh, a guy named John Shaw, Bubba Wagner. I mean, these guys. I mean, they are really tough. And so I tend to try to stay away from their 5 5 10 to a quarter game. And uh, I still play one two five PLO game, and I've gotten to where uh, I've had a lot of success in it. And uh, it just, I don't know, uh, the attraction to it over Hold'em. Hold'em seems so 
cut and dry PLO. It's like you can sneak up on people, you know, and uh, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. I enjoy the aspect of uh, there every time there's a card that's turned, I mean, everything changes. And so, you know, you just have to be prepared for all that tremendous amount of variance in it. And uh, um, it's just, it's a, uh, just a lot of fun. You can be a lot more creative. You can, you know, and people tend to a lot of times starting out, they'll play PLO like they play Hold'em, and that's not always a good thing because once the lot comes, all bets are off, you know. So, you know, you got to kind of watch the hand you play not to get you in trouble and all that. But I, I just, I enjoy it a lot. we got a great group of guys. And as, I mean, one of my main attractions to poker anyway is – the sociability of everything and the relationships and, and sitting at a poker table and people having a good time and people telling stories and people interacting. And it's a lot like music too. in so much as, you know, in, in poker and in music and athletics, you know, there's a lot of say color barriers and background barriers that are all uh, in color talking about race uh, that where those things are all irrelevant and music and athletics and uh and in poker and so you have a wide variety of people and i I really enjoy that aspect of it and everything and that you got a lot of good friends from and majority of my friends now are all poker i retired in 2013 and i'm on the older side of these guys matter of fact i get called old man poker i get called grandpa all the time (laughs) by these kids and everything which is it always used to insult me till about like February 27th when I became a grandpa for the first time. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be called grandpa because they don't know how good that is. And so uh, we're, you know, we're excited about that here at our house, but it's, it's always funny people. And oh, like the last couple of years I worked, uh, I was on a detail too, where I would have to, I would have to go to Atlantic city like two weeks out of every six weeks to the FAA tech center there uh, which fortunately that's where it was located. And then uh, I would visit the Borgata just about every night that I was there and play poker there. And so that was all a real cool situation. Getting to go what did you do and, uh, before you retired? I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, was I, thought I, I think I knew that. For 30 years. And then the, the last couple of years I worked on a detail in, addition to just being an air traffic controller, I uh, worked on a detail where we were improving our equipment here and like our, our radar display and, and what you actually looked at. And I was our representative from here. And so we'd go up there and where the tech center is and test out equipment. Well, we'd do that all day and I'd play poker all night. Everybody else, they'd schedule their trips like Monday to Friday, Monday to Friday for those two weeks uh, with one weekend in between. And they'd fly in on Monday, and then a week and a half later, they'd fly home on that Friday. I'd schedule my trips Wednesday to Wednesday to Wednesday, so I would have <laughs> two weekends in between, so I could hang out at the Borgata, which is a fabulous poker room. And, uh, you know, and it's funny. You start seeing people, and then you'd see them somewhere else. You'd see them somewhere else. And, I mean, poker tournaments so often, that's what's so great about them, is they're, they're almost like homecomings where you, you see people you haven't seen in a while, and especially in the South, the way we do things here, and I mean, you know, we're huggers and handshakers and stuff like that. That that's not really the case up at the Borgata, and uh, uh, but but it's still, you know, it, it's still good to play. But and especially like the event y'all put on, like in Pearl River, and and uh, you know, I'm anxious to attend more events. But it's always just it's fun to see people. It's a group of people that. Primarily, out of every hundred people there, you're happy to see 99 of them. And uh, certainly, I know that on some people's scale, I'm probably the one that they didn't want to see either. So I'm good with that. But uh, I like I doubt seeing that. all the people, uh, seeing all the people, and all the relationships that you have, and uh, you know, just and getting ready to do this and being asked to do this. And I'm honored to ask, be asked to do this uh, podcast because certainly. You got a lot of better poker players than me out there. You have a lot of people that have a whole lot more success and records and stuff like that. Um, but 
that's the great thing about poker, truly, I think. You got people from all aspects that bring a lot of different things to the game. Some people bring like these, I mean, guys like Dan Lowry and stuff who just come in there and, man, I mean, they just wear it out. You know, they just wear you out. It's it's hard to play against them. And then you got other people coming there and tell fascinating stories. And so I just, I, I like everything that everybody's got to bring to it. I've met a lot of cool people, uh, just like this last time down at Biloxi. Uh, I met a man y'all are probably familiar with down in Louisiana, Lester Bork from Bork Meats. And, uh, man, I mean, he, he it was just such a cool experience meeting somebody new and him tell me all about his business that he's, you know, worked in his entire life. His dad or granddad started it. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, again, the thing that I like so much about it. Well, I think, Jamie, that's that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on the podcast is uh, me and you and, and Paul Dutch and um, Gene and other folks have shared breakfasts over the years at Pearl River, and you always have some of the most uh, entertaining stories, two of which I'll, I'll, I'll get you to talk about in a little bit that I just remember offhand. But I, I did want to just uh, stop you real quick because um, – you were talking about being an air tra- traffic controller, and I was wondering, one, is the uh, – I think there was a movie, Pushing 10, where it kind of right. it showed this, like, kind of crazy lifestyle of air traffic controllers. One, I want to ask, is, is that kind of accurate? And two, is there any uh, parallels or carryover from that profession and kind of poker or PLO or, or something that it draws the same kind of person to it? Yeah, I mean, I think, and of course, you have, you know, you've got, <laughs> there's all different kinds of personalities there, but a lot of the personalities are personalities like mine. A lot of people are like alpha type people, and uh, they like having the floor, and they like having, <laughs> you know, and I mean, you're you're tasked with a lot when you're doing it, and so, you know, you just got to, you, you got to be confident, and uh you, you got to be determined when you're doing something that, hey, this is going to go the way I say it goes today. We're not, you know, I believe in democracy. We're just not practicing one. And so when you're <laughs> given instructions and stuff like that, you, you've you got to be proactive in it. And if you don't, they will just run all over you because uh, they want to do what they want to do. So, you know, uh, they want to go which way they want to go. And they want to go direct all the time. Nobody wants to go how they're filed when they're flying. So, like, when people are doing it. But, like, uh, the guys I worked with, and, like, in 81, Reagan fired 13,000 air traffic controllers. And so I was at Murray State, and uh, my wife uh, was there at Murray State when we spent our last year in married housing. And the night I met her, I was playing poker at a party, actually. So she's been around this the whole time. She's aware of it. And uh, so, and I'll, I'll say this about that. Between her and I have two daughters, and I've got a son-in-law and a, a grandbaby, but they are all very supportive of, of what I do now. I've been retired, like I said, 10 years, and I always get nothing but, like, hey, Dad, hope you run good. Hey, good luck. They were calling me, texting me this morning. Hey, good luck on your podcast. All I've ever gotten is uh, just tremendous support, and that means a lot. Because uh, I mean, I've been in casinos, man, where guys' wives have come in there and pulled them out of the casino from the poker room, and that's a that's a tough thing to have to deal with when you're having to beat people that are better poker players and a wife that doesn't support you, you know. And uh, so, but, uh, the air traffic control thing. I mean, we're a bunch of you know similar type guys, uh, competitive guys. Uh, we played a lot of golf. We'd like to bet playing golf. And so poker was kind of an easy transition as far as the com- competition aspect and then the uh, 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 gaming part of it, you know, where you could actually win something. And so uh, uh, I've always, you know, I, I like being, my dad was an air traffic controller. And so, again, Reagan fires everybody in 81, creates 13,500 job openings, which made me employable. And so uh, I took a test. I was always kind of good at math and stuff and did well on the test, got hired, and, uh, uh, you know, went out to the Air Traffic Control Academy in Oklahoma City. And uh, then 
I, uh, you know, did it, like I said, for 30 years, and, and it's just worked out great for me. I've, I'm a very fortunate guy. Like I said, president of the free world fires 13,000 people, so you become employable, and then you spend your life doing what it is you wanted to do to begin with. It's a pretty good life, yeah. Wow. Did you know that you wanted to do to do that when you were in the Air Force? Was that sort of the motivation, or did you did you sort of well, uh, I went, come to I that went in. I, I wanted to. I didn't really know, even though I'd been around it my whole life. I still didn't know a whole lot about it. You know, it, uh, my dad did it. My dad was a, an, uh, a tower air traffic controller, and then in the uh, U.S., uh, you have these en route facilities too. There's like 20 of them, uh, 18 of them in the continental U.S. and then one in Hawaii and one in uh, uh, Anchorage or I think it's in Anchorage, Alaska. But there just happens to be one here in Memphis, and they're just kind of spread out. And all the airspace in the U.S. is one big airspace that the FAA owns, and then they delegate it either to the military or small, smaller air. Uh, Space uh, people like say here in Memphis, where they might have like 40 miles around Memphis and 16,000 feet down. But the FAA airspace, I mean, the en route airspace is from like the ground up 60,000 feet and it covers the entire United States, you know. And so, you, I mean, what's your task with there? You're always working people just on radar and you're getting people from one place to another, uh, lining them up, going to places like Atlanta or Dallas or Houston or something like that, and uh, then working these small airports that don't have air traffic control facilities. But uh, I was always interested in it, but I didn't think, I mean, it used to be so super hard to get into before they fired old people because there just weren't any job openings, really. I mean, there'd be a couple every year, and you had to test real well. And I went in the Air Force hoping to get into air traffic control, but it was so competitive, uh, I didn't even get in in the Air Force. And so I was a personnel specialist. And I did get to see the world, though. I was in Biloxi, where I was actually born when my dad was in air traffic control school. And so I went to Biloxi to personnel specialist uh, tech school. And then I got stationed in Columbus, Mississippi. So I've seen it all, really. You know, Columbus and Biloxi. So... um <laughs> Jamie, I, w- I want to ask you about one of those stories you told me. Uh, I'm guessing when you're an air traffic controller, you never had somebody going down the escalator uh, just yelling expletives <laughs> on his way out. But that, uh, that, that no, has happened to you in uh, poker. I, I, so tell me about that. <laughs> well, it was, and I think, I think it was like the, is it the World Poker Open or Delta Poker, Delta Gold, Poker Classic that the uh, Gold Strike used to put on. And, you know, like, it, it, first of all, the poker room was upstairs. There's these two escalators, one down, one up. And then the poker room was on the other side of where the escalators came up and went down. And then the poker tournament rooms, when they were having the bigger events, they would be like down this hallway and then in, uh, divided into these ballrooms. And so we're there playing, and Mac Trellis was actually dealing the hand. And uh, Paul was there, Paul Dutch, who's a good friend now. And thankfully, because of him, I met you, Bill, and because of Bill, I met Gene, and now I've met, uh, oh, our ben. other host on here. Ben, thank you. I'm ben. sorry. Yep. And um, so I uh, I was playing and folds around to me in the small blind and I've got nine, seven of hearts. And uh, so I can't remember if I raised or limped in, but if I limped and he raised and then I called and I had nine, seven of hearts, which was like my favorite hand. And uh, uh, he actually had like uh, a pair of eights. And so the flop came like eight, five, four. So he flopped top set. And so I had the gutter ball though. And so I like to bet gutter balls out in front of it in case they come so that I can just continue on down that path. And I need to get them to fold or whatever so uh 
I bet it. And he just flatted me with top set of eight. And so then the next card out, like magic, is a six. And so I bet again. And he raised me. And I re-raised him and he shipped it. And I called. And I tabled my hand. And he tables his hand. They run the river. It's a blank. And he yells, fuck. And I was like, looking. He goes, I can't believe that you called me with a gut shot. I said, uh, I think you've uh, kind of mischaracterized how this happened. I, uh, I bet. <laughs> and you called. And then I bet. And then you moved all in once you didn't have the best hand anymore. And I had the best hand, and then it held up, but that's how it actually went. And then he's like, fuck. And he strains it about three or four more times in the room, at which time now he's walking down the hallway, and it just gets fainter and fainter. And it's like, oh. And then you hear him like he's on the escalator now. And near in the you just hear, <laughs> and they said he screamed it all the way through the casino, though. And uh, certainly, uh, I could uh, probably uh, have told a more uh, appealing uh, story to some of your listeners and I'm not like <laughs> condoning that, but uh I'm just I'm just reporting the news and so uh but he he, he was none too pleased. But uh, and and I find that you know guys often I mean they forget all the beats they put on people. They just remember the one they're getting at that time and the guys that complain and moan about it just like, man, you know, I just saw you do the same thing like half hour ago, and you simply have forgotten how that went down. And uh, so, anyway, it was pretty funny. When, and Mac was dealing, of course, and Mac thought it was hilarious. And Mac still likes telling the story to this day. And uh, But the victim was not that entertained by it. So uh, there's another good story that you told as well. Uh, to me, I, I love that story because that just kind of epitomizes the, that kind of experience you feel as a poker player when uh, you got to leave and you just you get that bad beat and that whole walk to the car. Most of that's internal, but this guy was you know yelling it out loud for everybody to share in his experience. Right. But right. Another story that you told kind of ties into something we've talked about and something you talked about earlier is how poker you get to play with people from all kinds of backgrounds and um, yeah, now, all kinds hold, hold, of. If, if you're going to ask about the cops and robbers, is that what you're going to ask about? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That Well, that, that's actually Paul's story. That is, that oh. is Paul Dutch's story. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we, when we were sitting there sharing breakfast or wherever we were, uh, this last time, I don't know, it may have been dinner out or breakfast or or whatever, but okay. uh, yeah, that that was that was Paul Dutch's story. So I'll I'll leave him to to share that. Matter of fact, I just went to lunch with Paul like on uh, Wednesday, I guess, of last week or something like that, and, and when we were talking, and, and he was telling me a story uh, again that then I heard you talking about on one of the podcasts. And I can't recall exactly what it is now, but for all of your listeners who uh, like pick and choose and don't listen to all your podcasts. If I can suggest that somebody listen to a podcast, and I know I've already talked to you about this, that Joe Sala uh, podcast is to behold. It is the one of the most entertaining things I've ever listened to in my entire life. And it's just so from the heart, from one guy that is just trying to find his way into whatever it is he's doing. It doesn't matter if it's with his job, with the car detailing business. It doesn't matter if it's about poker. It doesn't matter what it's about. He's all in from the beginning, and he will do what it takes to get there. And it is, I'm telling you, it is, it's the most entertaining poker podcast I may have ever heard, I would think. Wow. 
That's that's an awesome endorsement. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I remember being there and listening to it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Joe I've, I've lived a. I listened to, of course. I think I've listened to all of them now, and uh, um, I mean, and again, I, I I listen to these, and then these are people though. Like when I'm playing them, I'm my wife's in there reading, and I'm listening to them. And she's like, "So do you know this guy?" I was like, "Yeah, I know that guy." She's like, "Do you know this guy?" I was like, "Yeah, I know that guy." So I mean, all these great people I've met, people like Corey Harrison, people Mike Moynihan, uh, listen to Monkey's uh, podcast. I mean, I hadn't seen Monkey in ten years, and uh, he probably doesn't even know who I am, but I met him uh, down here at Tunica playing, and you know, it's just it was. Uh, Certainly a uh, uh, experience and, and a good experience meeting him. He was so entertaining. He yeah, he he'll like hold his serve on the table, telling stories and being entertaining and everything. So you know, I always uh, enjoy uh, that you know part of it and everything. And uh, but you know, it's just again all the stories, all the relationships, uh, the breakfasts, the dinners, the the thing that y'all do, you know, in Pearl River time. And then Paul and Richard, they'll be out playing somewhere and we'll go listen to them play and eat dinner out. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's so much fun doing all that, that, I mean, those are a lot of the things that get overlooked. I mean, a lot of people are just coming to play poker and I get it, but I got news for them. Those guys that just wear their headset that are stuck on their iPad playing, uh, while they're uh, sitting at a table playing, they're missing out because the friendships that you develop, the just the, even if it's not a friendship, the relationship, the the stories that you hear. I mean, I mean, all these people, you know. And I'm so bad with names, man. I see people all the time. I don't know if I it's because I have a girl's name in there. She's remember how this guy with a girl's name. His name's Jamie. And uh, that they're able to remember my name, but people speak to me and I'm like, hey man, hey pal, hey bro, hey buddy. Hey <laughs> just, I'm so I'm so bad with names and uh but it's certainly something that for ten years now from being retired that I've so much enjoyed and uh hope to enjoy more in the future. Uh but I imagine some of my well, time Jamie, let me... up a little let me ask you this, because you, you kind of minimized your po- your tournament poker, but you just chopped the biggest, well, our most celebrated event. We had the first annual Gulf Coast Poker Tour Championship, and we had, a, I believe it's $500 buy-in with a long, long, great structure. It's really going to challenge players, and you got to the final table and made it all the way to the chop, I think, with two other players from Tennessee. Chico and Yusef, is that right? Right. Um, yeah, I think. It's so Yusuf, tell us a little Ali, bit about that. And then Chico both. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it, it, first of all, it's such a great structure that uh, you didn't have to panic. You didn't have to get in a hurry. Uh, you had plenty of time to play. And meanwhile, you know, and again, you got a lot of guys. I mean, in uh, another podcast I listen to, Mark Davis. Uh, and, and his accomplishments and stuff, and the things that uh, he talked about it in the hands, uh, hands that he was playing, how he played uh, Darren Elias and everything, and all that is just, I mean, so interesting. And, and it's always, I mean, I, I like playing with people that are accomplished and stuff because I like to try to learn something from them. And uh, but something I, I am is typically. <laughs> is I'm very patient in tournaments. And so, I mean, you won't see me with 25 bigs shoving jack nine of clubs on somebody when it folds to me in the cutoff. I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to say I don't raise with it, but I'm not going to ship 25 bigs or if somebody bets into me and I got jack nine of clubs, I'm not shipping it then back on them to get them to fold to take it down. I, and I see a, a lot of people that, that do that. And I'm not saying there's a thousand different ways to get to the end and everybody's got their own style. My style is just one of patience. And that uh, particular event, there was twice. I mean, I was, I was a short stack with three tables. I was the short stack with two tables. I was the short stack at the final table. And I will just wait until I can't wait anymore. And uh, I mean, there's, 
twice. One time I got down to five and a half big blinds. Another time I got down to six and a half big blinds. And people will tell you, well, you don't really stand a chance to win, you know, playing like that. Well, uh, you may not, but uh, you stand a chance to watch a lot of other people uh, not win either by virtue of just getting, you know, over anxious about it. And so, yeah, I just uh, that's that's my style is just be patient about it. And again, that's one of those things, man. That final table, a lot of friends uh, of mine, Chico's there, uh, Brian Wilson, uh, uh, Joshua Hines, uh, and then meeting the other people there that I uh, may not have known prior to that. But it was it was a great experience. Uh, that's Again, one of the things, when y'all put on an event, by and large, man, you're just going to have a lot of people who you enjoy being around, you know. I've heard all you guys being talked about on these other podcasts and people I've met over the years through all this, and, and now they're friends of mine, and I see them, you know, uh, other places and everything. It's always great to, you know, see these folks. What did you think about the play of that final table? Like, uh uh, I know you were short stacked a few times, but did anybody stand right. out to you? Uh, Yusef well, took mean, it down, uh, I think. Yusef, of course. Yusef, of course, is uh, really aggressive, and um, and he had the big stack, and so he was taking advantage of that, and uh, you know, uh, which he should. And I mean, he he was by far the most aggressive, and then though. Uh, People, you know, get knocked out, you know, one by one. And I finally put together a couple of hands where, you know, I doubled up or whatever. And then, uh, what's her name? I believe is Brenda Eskridge, I believe. Yeah. She was uh, uh, one of the final five, maybe. And she played super great uh, the whole time. And she, she would make some big laydowns or some, you know, big plays that, you know, just were, were really good. And uh, so I was just impressed with, you know, everybody's playing. And then uh, Chico, Chico's a very patient guy, too. And uh, he certainly knows his way around a poker table. And uh, he's had a lot of success. And uh, I like being around Chico. Chico's entertaining. He's fun. He's upbeat. He's happy. Uh, you know, so uh, it's just always uh, good to do that. But I mean, just, you know, you can, and the, the places I picked uh, to get my money in, I just I either had the best hand or wound up making the best hand. And there was there was two, one where I think Chico opened, and then I shipped it with, uh, I think it was Ace Four of Spades, and then Joseph overshipped it with Ace Five of Diamonds, I believe. Chico folded, and then uh, so I mean I'm dead right there, and uh, he and he, and he flops a five, and but then I run out of straight, so I, I got real fortunate then. But uh, again, I mean at that time I had like eight and a half bigs or whatever, and then another hand uh, we got down to uh, three of us, and um, I limped with King Queen to Yusuf in the big blind and he'd been again real aggressive the whole time and i felt like as soon as i show any kind of weakness he's going to jump on it. and i just felt like king queen is good enough to go with and uh once again i guess wrong i had king queen i don't know it's king queen of hearts or it was king queen off i can't recall but i think it's king queen of hearts and he had ace jack and uh so I'm, I'm behind again but not tremendously behind and i said how about those ladies and bank and there's a queen right there on the flop. So, uh, so it worked out well for me. So then he had like, I don't know, uh, four and a half. I had like 3.2 and, uh, Chico had 2.5. We're all real close and just, uh, flip from something disastrous happening to a bigger stack. And, uh, Chico suggested the, uh, chop and got it all worked out. And, uh, of course, that 10K seat was, had a tangible uh, value to it as well. And uh, he, uh, Yusef wanted that seat, so we negotiated more money for 
me and Chico. Chico was primarily the instigator and and the negotiator extraordinaire on that. And that when we got five thousand more in second place money, and uh, but Joseph got uh, a ten k seat with it too. So uh, everybody was happy, yeah. I think. And it's just it was a great event, man. It's just the structure is unbelievable. So uh, I'm just you know excited well, thank to you, Jamie. go do it again. Well, we appreciate that. Um, we usually do this for about 45 minutes to an hour, so we're getting around that time. But I'm going to talk to you and, and see if we can get you to uh, tell Paul's story some other time or, or get some details about that because that's a good story. Um, yeah, but I do want to remind afraid, everybody that's yeah. listening. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just. No, I, I, was I just, don't want to tell Paul's story. I will leave that to him, just because I, I, I want I, Paul does it so much better justice than I could do it, not knowing all the facts. But it is a good story. I, I like that as well. Okay, um, and I just want to tell everybody, just remind him again, we're going to be in Shreveport for our next event. I think Jamie might be joining us to be determined, but it will be the 11th of April, so next week running through the main which will end on sunday the 16th and it's not yet official it's not yet announced but by the time this podcast is out there hopefully it will be i'm not going to give specific details but for those of y'all going to las vegas this summer we should have something in las vegas a gcp event i will keep the location to ourselves right now but it will be around the 11th of June that weekend. And of course, as soon as the details get out there and we we can promote it, you'll certainly hear about it from us. And we're really excited to get our foot in the door into Vegas and just do a little bit of an event while everybody's out there for summer camp. And we sure hope everybody that plays in the region and comes to our events, comes to this one and supports us. If you're in Vegas, come play this one event and it'd be really good for us to possibly get our foot in the door, maybe lead some bigger things down the line. So uh, we, we have a great community and we really appreciate all the support everybody gives. So if you're there and you can make it, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. Other than that, I think that's uh, everything for today. We appreciate y'all listening. Thanks. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, so, Jamie. Jamie. Hey, Thank y'all. Y'all take care.